We are the family of God. Striving to be with We are people of more. Ready to receive our King. Let's sing. Oh, oh, Christ our Lord. We are people of more. Father for an eternity to live out our, in our not our last days but our, our, all of our days our eternal days it, it's a it's a different uh, it, it's a different way of looking at life to when you know that it'll never end and when you know that you'll be with the one who will always be with you who knows all who cares for you and loves you more than you love yourself as we as we begin to uh, get into this message for today. I want to remind you of what what it is that we're studying this month. In the month of June, our focus is on Christianity. You see, Christianity has taken some blows uh, over the past maybe two decades. In Christianity, uh, people are moving away from Christianity. People are moving towards other things. They're saying that they are no longer Christians, but they are still spiritual people. They still recognize that there is something otherly, something other than who they are, something bigger than who they are, but they don't recognize God in terms of the God of the Bible, in terms of Yahweh God. And see, that's a problem because when people begin to neglect, when people begin to let go of, when people stop holding on to what is the gospel, they do not have an answer for sin. They do not have a means of salvation. 
And that's a problem. And we as Christians should be bothered by that because it's not enough for me to have salvation. It's not enough for me to have the blessings of God, but I need to take what God has given me and project that out into the world. I need to share the things and the blessings that God has given me. And the main thing that God has given us is the gift of salvation and the ability to have a relationship with him. Right? That's a blessing. And we ought to want everybody else to be in on this blessing. We, we, we can't be stingy with this thing, right? We, we can't just hold this thing to ourselves, right? That's, that's a greedy outlook on life. You can do that with your Doritos. You can do that with your Burger King and your McDonald's. You can keep the Chick-fil-A to yourself. But when it comes to the gospel of God and the gift that God has for us in salvation, we need to share that with the world. And Christianity is taking a hit, and Christianity is, is, is being attacked, to be quite honest with you. So much so to where Christians are not able to speak their faith and have the freedom to do so, where we had that here. And so we need to do our best in all of our avenues, in all the corners of our lives, in all of our jobs, in all of our schools. We need to do our best to have an explanation of the hope that we possess as God's people. Because if we can't explain it, where is the world going to find the truth? Amen. And so what we seek to do in this sermon series is we want to explain and go back. We want to take all of the, the, the advanced stuff out of it. We're going back to Christianity 101. Right. And so we started last week. We were taking a look at why we even need Christianity in the first place. Now, Christianity is a philosophy. It's a way of life. Right. It's a way of life. And the reason why we need this way of life is because of the problem of sin. Sin is us living in opposition to God. The, the word literally means to miss the mark, right? God sets this mark. God puts a bullseye on the target, and God says, I want you to hit this. And God doesn't make it to where it's this small. God makes it to where it's this big. But guess what we do? Sometimes we say, I don't care how big God made the target. I'm going to miss it on purpose. Right. Sometimes we miss the mark accidentally, but there are more times often whenever we just say we don't we don't find it. We, we don't care about hitting that mark that God said anyway. And but let me tell you what happens. What happens is, is whenever we sin, when we miss the mark. We then separate ourselves from God. God created human beings inside of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, right? He created them both, man and woman, in the garden to exist in relationship with him. God literally, right, walked in the garden with them. They can hear when God was coming. They can have conversations back and forth with God and hear him audibly. And God created us to have this relationship with him. But the minute, the moment that sin came into existence, it began to pull us away from God. So much so that when the people, Adam and Eve, heard God in the garden, they went and they hid after they sinned. And then they began to, one began to blame God for the sin that they had committed. It was the woman that you gave me. Eve says it was the serpent that, that tricked me into doing this thing. When God told humanity to have dominion over creation, not the other way around. Amen. And so God said, I have, to, I have to move them out of the garden because if they get a hold to the tree of life and live forever in this state without me, it's an unthinkable thought to live forever without God. And God says, I don't want that to happen. So he sends them out of the garden. He puts something there to guard the garden so that they can't come back in. And he says, you know what? I told them that they would surely die. 
And they are going to die, but not yet. Something's going to have to pay the price for what they did. An animal was killed and he covered their shame with the skin of that animal. Already God is making concessions for the salvation of humanity. Already God is seeking. He wasn't seeking information in the garden when he's asking, where are you and how do you know you're naked? God is seeking repentance. And so he sends them out of the garden. They go and they reproduce. And they have children. They have two sons. One son kills the other son. God talks to the son that killed the other son. He says, what is this that you have done? Or where's your brother? And he says, God, am I my brother's keeper? And humanity continues to, continues to get worse and worse with this thing called sin. Sin is a problem. And as sin continues to grow and population of the earth continues to grow, man grows continually farther and farther apart from God. They seek to build a tower to the heavens so that they can glorify themselves. God says, no, 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 sir, no, ma'am. I'm going to confuse your language so that you can't have unity yet. It's coming later, but you won't have this unity yet without me. Confuses their language. They separate from each other. The world continues to get worse. And God says, I, I, I repent. I, I, I am sorry that I made humanity. I'm going to wipe off the entire earth. He finds a man that's special. He finds a man that's faithful in Noah. And he clears off the whole earth except for him, his wife, three sons and their wives. Humanity starts from there again. And it's like, you look at the first 10 or so chapters of Genesis and it's nothing but sin and problems getting worse and worse and worse. And if you didn't know anything else about the Bible and you had only read those first 10 chapters, you would think to yourself, man, this isn't going to get any better. Sin is a real problem. We obviously don't have an answer for it. We can't do it by ourselves. And so God... God begins to work his plan. And the title for this lesson this morning is Faith is the Key. Faith is the key. When you come up into the problem of sin, I need you to understand that faith is the key. Faith is the answer. Uh, On this last week, I had an opportunity to chaperone a trip uh, with my daughter's school. And we went to Six Flags Fiesta, Texas. And I love to go to theme parks. What I don't love is being a big guy and going to theme parks. Because I don't feel as safe as I used to whenever I was a little guy. Let me explain this to you. When I go into a roller coaster and I pull down the thing on me, there's something getting in the way of that thing clicking the last time to make me feel safe. All right? There's something in the way. All right? And I'm pulling, and I'm pulling, and I call him. I go to the first ride that's at Six Flags, the Goliath. I say, hey, can, y- can y'all push this one more time? And they push it, click. Oh, man, I can't breathe. And, but, I, but I feel secure, right? And we're going up, and you hear the click, 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 before it goes in the drop. And I'm like, you know what? This is going to hold me, and I'm going to have a good time. I'm not going to be worried about me falling out of this thing, my weight making this thing not hold and I went and I'm zip, zipping and z- zagging and going up and down. I had a great time. In that moment, I didn't know if that thing was going to come loose and I was going to fall out. 
But you know what I said? I have this blind trust in this gizmo to hold me in while I scream and laugh and have a good time. And this is this is this blind trust. This blind trust, this blind belief that even though I can't see the end product of what I'm believing in, that's faith. You see, in the garden, when, when sin was first introduced, it began with the question that introduced doubt. And that doubt grew into temptation, which grew into sin, which grew into death. And God says, I have an answer. The answer is faith. You have to reestablish faith in God if you want to begin on a path towards eternity. And in order to understand Christianity, you have to understand that it begins with faith. It begins with faith. And so if we want to understand any subject good, I know it's not good English, right? I know it's not proper English. But if you want to understand any subject well in the Bible, Go to where it first appears. And who was the person that we first know of in the Bible where it speaks of faith? Abram. Yes, Abram. Abram. So I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to examine on today verses 1 through 9. Verses 1 through 9. I will have you out of here so you can enjoy your uh, golden corral. You can get there before the buffet gets cold. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Verses 1 through 9. And the Bible says, well, say amen when you're there. Amen. Say, hold on if you're still turning. It's the first book. Don't turn too far. First book, 12th chapter. Verse number 1 is where we begin. Verse number 9 is where we will end. And the Bible says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Can we say, I will show you? It takes a great deal of faith to do that. He says, I'm not going to show you yet, but I will show you. If you're online, just type that in. Verse number two, the Bible says, I will make you into a great nation. Can we say great nation? You are that great nation. You are a part of that great nation. God says to Abram, I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Verse three says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Can we say blessed through you? If you're online watching on YouTube, type in blessed through you. Each person who is a believer in God needs to understand that you are carriers. You are the conduit of the blessing of God. The blessings of God ought to flow through you, right? The Bible says in verse number four, so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was, look at this. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now, remember back when you were younger, you didn't mind getting up and moving. You didn't mind packing up your stuff and going from place to place. But this man is 75 years old. He's a senior citizen. And he's getting up and he's leaving everything that he has ever known. Verse number five. Bible says, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, 
see, verse number six. Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar. Can we say built an altar? He built an altar there to the Lord and who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent. Can we say Bethel? Bethel. If you're online, type in Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Can we say called on the name of the Lord? And finally, verse number nine, the Bible says, then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. That's the desert there. Now, I want to start off by talking about reestablishing faith, reestablishing faith. Now, humanity at this time in Genesis chapter 12 is dealing with an issue of having not really a good relationship with God. They don't have an established relationship with God. They have they have uh, uh, indulged in the, the, the wants of their flesh they have gone after the wants of the desires of their flesh, and they said, sin is for me, and, and in doing so, they have separated themselves more and more from God. And so the Bible says, there's a change of events that happens in chapter 12. The Bible says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. When we look at the name of Abram, as we look at it in the Hebrew, his name points to him, you know, when you look at Bible characters, it usually describes their, their characteristics, their name does, right? Just imagine if our, character, our names were still describing our characteristics. That would be kind of messed up for some of us, right? Oh, East Too Much Stevens, right? Oh, Gossip Jackson. <laughs> if I, what if our names still describe? character but father abraham right his name points to him being a father because he's going to be a father of the people that will bless the world right his human genes are going to give forth to jesus christ right his lineage right now god says to abraham i want you to go from your country go from your kindred go from your father's house now look at this we read this and sometimes we go very quickly over what the bible is saying in this time right here right you had a people who would, they would travel from land to land, right? They were basically nomadic people, right? They would go to where they could find good land, plant good food, and make a good living for themselves. And Abram and his family, right, generations and generations of family, had been established in this land of Haran for a long time. But God says, I want you to leave the comforts of your land. Leave the safety of your land. Because you best believe if you went into someone else's territory and you weren't welcome, they were going to do their best to get you out of there or kill you in the process. And God tells Abram, I want you to leave the comforts of your land. Leave the comforts of your country. He also tells Abram, I also want you to leave your kindred, leave those who are relatives, leave those who are friends. I want you to leave all of them behind. Leave people who you trust. Leave people who you've built relationships with. Leave behind people that you have known for all of your 75 years. Leave them behind. He then tells Abram, he says, I also want you to leave your father's house. Now, you may be saying to yourself, this sounds like the same thing. Isn't his father a relative? Isn't his father in the country? His father, listen to this, his father owns the land. His father holds the 
inheritance that will continue to take care of Abram and his family from years and years on after he dies. God says, I want you to leave that nest egg. Ouch. Ouch, right? How many of you right now would drop your 401k if God said to do so? Drop your 401k, your IRA Roth, your bank account. I want you to leave all that behind, and I want you to go to this land in Iowa that I will show you. I should have said a land that we probably haven't been to. Some of you have been to Iowa. That'd be a hard move. How many of you just get up and go, yeah, I don't really need this bank account. I don't really need this retirement fund. I'm 75 years old. This is what God asked Abram to do. This is a hard ask. This is a hard thing for, for, for any person to do, but we need to understand this is what Abram does. He leaves familiar territory. He leaves safety. He leaves friends and family, and he leaves his future for God. How many of us are willing to do that today? How many of us are willing to let go of people who are toxic and cancers in our spiritual lives? How many of us are willing to let go of things that we don't really need so that we can serve God better? It's hard for us to let go of the, some of that 40 plus hours that we worked. Eef. That's a hard saying, right? But this is what God is asking. God is saying, okay, with this reestablishing of, 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 of relationship, with this beginning of faith, what I need you to do, I need you to fully trust in me. And you can't fully trust in me if you're holding on to things that are created. The land was created. The people were created. The inheritance was something that was created. And God says, I need you to go back to the reality of the beginning. And creation needs to have dominion over created things. And so God says, I need you to have dominion now over created things. And trust in me like I originally assigned humanity to do. And so God calls him to this hard task. God tells him to leave all his comforts. Will we trust in God when he asks us to leave in order to reestablish faith? Verse number two, the Bible moves on and it says, I will make you. God says this to Abraham. If you do this, this is a condition, right? It's a conditional statement. If you are obedient to what I've just said and you leave behind those things, those comforts, those people, that land, he says, I will make you a great nation, a big nation. Do you remember the echoes of the beginning of Genesis when it says, be fruitful in what? Do you see what God's doing here? God's just trying to reestablish what happened in the beginning. God says, I told you to be fruitful and multiply. Now I'm giving you the opportunity again to be great and to multiply again. Now think about this for a moment. When he says to Abram, I'll make you a great nation. This man is 75 years old. His wife is well past childbearing age. That's, that's hard. God, you mean to tell me I'm going to have children? I don't have any right now. I'm 75 years old. God says, I'm going to give you children. I'm not just going to give you one, but you're going to be great. 
Your, your nation is going to be great. And he says, not only that, but I will bless you. And that means that you will now be in favor with me and I will have a hedge of protection around you. You see, there was a hedge of protection that existed in the Garden of Eden. They, were, they would not uh, have to worry about harm in the Garden of Eden. They didn't have to worry about animals coming and tearing them up because God was there with them. God kept what was meant to be inside of this hedge of prote- protection inside of there. And God kept the bad things out. But God says, if you do this, I will bless you. You will be in good relationship with, you, with me. And not only that, but he says, on top of that, here's the cherry on top. I'm going to make your name great. When people say your name, thousands of years from now, they're going to sing a song about you. Father Abraham had many sons. Y'all know that song, and many sons had. He said, I'm going to make your name great. So much so that you'll be a blessing. To where people will hear about you in 2021 and find a reason to say amen because of your name. This is what God does. God brings things back to the original order and he's filling the earth with God-centric people. God says there's there's been too long of people being duplicated and multiplied and all they want to rely on is sin to themselves. God says now I need to get back to the original plan of filling this earth up with people who love me. So God's blessing towards Abraham, they do not seem to only be for him. And a lot of times we as human beings, when we receive blessings, we only want them to be for us. Amen. Amen. A lot of times when we get the good in life, we say, that's mine. We sound like toddlers and infants when they learn their first words of mine, right? I know that Brother Arnold, he was just blessed with that new Genesis out there. He won't mind letting me borrow that. (laughs) He might have said no. (laughs) But he will use it to pack up items for the church. I know he done that with his other car. Let's see. Verse number three, the Bible says, I will bless those. This is God still speaking to Abraham. He says, I will bless those who bless you. Think about this. I will give favor and hedge of protection to those who do the same for you. And those who curse you. Those who would belittle your name, those who would say that Abraham, I'm going to get him, I'm going to do harm to him. God says, I'm going to get them first. And when we exist in this relationship with God, guess what? We don't have to worry about. We don't have to worry about revenge. We don't have to worry about vengeance. We don't have to worry about getting back at the people who did us wrong. Because when I'm in relationship with God, I don't have to fight my own battles. God says, I got you. Amen. And so he says, I'm going to have your back. I'm going to bless you. And if people will be on your side, I'll be on their side. If they curse you, I'll curse them. And then it says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, I'm going to make it to where there's going to be a lineage of people who will give birth through the Holy Spirit to my son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to use some prostitutes along the way. I'm going to use some people who don't belong to your lineage along the way. I'm going to use people who they don't think, who the, who the devil thinks won't even be a part of a holy nation. And I'm going to take some strange folks, some strange folks just like the people sitting in this room right now, and I'm going to make them be a blessing to the world. Don't you think that God can't use you? Amen. And so he says, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse them. And in you, all the families of the, of the earth will be blessed. 
And if we're looking at this, as we look at the earth, this word that's used here in the Hebrew is the same word that they use for Adam. Guess what the Hebrew word for earth and Adam is, right? Adama. Sounds like Adam, right? Adama. Adam, Adama, right? This is what God does. He says, I'm going to take the Adam, the humanity, and I'm going to fix the Adama. I'm going to take humanity, I'm going to fix humanity. This is what God says. I'm going to take humanity, I'm going to take that thing that has been altered and messed up, and I'm going to fix the world. Remember when God punished them, he cursed them in the garden. He removed his hedge of protection. He sent them out of the garden because they were undeserving of it and did not want to do it. They only wanted to rely on themselves. And, and, and as we see this here, God says, I'm now going to place this hedge of protection around you. You'll be in my favor, and I'm going to reestablish relationship with you as my people. Faith is the beginning of the courtship with God. Do you remember your, your, your loved one, your boo thing, the wife you're sitting right next to now? Do you remember the first thing that you did for them? Maybe you bought them ice cream at the soda shop. Maybe you're old enough to know about soda shops, right? Maybe you held their hand in the hallways at school. Maybe you met them at a time in your life when you didn't think you were going to find a loved one again. But the beginning of that courtship is a sweet, sweet process, Right? And God says, in order for you to begin this new relationship with me, faith is the beginning of this thing. We must trust God again. And so what does Abraham do with that? What does Abraham do with this thing of God? I need you to leave so that you can trust in me. You see, sometimes we think when we have nothing left, we think that God has deserted us. But that's the moment in time, that's the opportunity for us to trust in God and see his blessings. Ah. So what do we do with this thing called faith? Here's what we do with it. So Abraham, Abraham, he, he says, okay, uh, I'm thinking about this. I'm 75. I haven't had kids yet, but God says I'm going to have kids. Okay. Uh, I, I live in the land. I'm comfortable in the land. I finally got my grass to where all the weeds aren't there anymore, but I'll go ahead and leave it. Uh, I, I, I spend enough money on Scots and stuff. Okay, I'll leave it. Uh, my, my father is here. My inheritance is here. My 401k is here. I'll go ahead and leave it. So it says that in verse number four, Abraham went as the Lord told him. And it says that Lot went with him, his nephew. And then Abram says here in the Bible again, Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. And I'm thinking to myself, why did they mention Haran here? Why did they mention this here in this verse? And I'm looking at the map, and I see that Haran is some 500 miles away from where they're going. They don't have cars. They don't have scooters. They don't have skates. This would have taken a month to get there. Right? Can you imagine just walking? <laughs> and I, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking about how my children do whenever we're on I-35 going to wherever it is that we're going. What's the words they say? Are we there yet? God, am I there yet? God, I chose to be obedient to you. I left my old lifestyle. I left the people that I used to hang with. I changed my words. I changed my actions. I've been faithful to my spouse. I've been going to work on time. I've been clocking in and not stealing time from work. I stopped using that fire stick where I was stealing movies and TV shows. God, I've been faithful. Ouch. God, I've been faithful. 
Am I there yet? Am I there yet, God? Am I, am I in the promised land yet, God? Mm. Have you been there? I remember being there and asking God if I'm there yet. I remember whenever I decided, okay, I'm not cussing no more. I'm not physically assaulting people anymore. I'm not committing fornication anymore. I'm not looking at pornography anymore, God. And I've been doing this and I've been faithful in what I'm doing. Am I there yet? Because I'm still wondering. I'm still heading in the right direction, but I'm not seeing the land that you promised me would be there. Mm, It's hard to hold on. What do you do with that? What do you do with that when you've been walking in the right direction, when you're headed towards where God told you to walk and you're still not there yet? Abraham's 75 years old. This man is old with his old wife and his nephew. And he's still walking. How far are you willing to go with your faith? How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to trust God? How long are you willing to trust God? It's not a quick trip. This ain't a quick quick trip to the corner store. And so verse number five, Abram, it says he took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered. Now, I think this is here for a purpose. God told him to leave the land, leave the people, go to the land. What does Abram do? He's going to take some of the people. He's going to take some of the things he's possessed and sit out to go. What this tells me here, and I don't think this is by accident, because he didn't, he didn't do word for word what God told him to do. Just like Eve did and just like Adam did. What this tells me is, is that God loves us so much that he's willing to put up with a little bit of our foolishness to get us where he wants us to be. Amen. Perfection is not required in this thing called Christianity. Isn't that a blessing? So here, Abraham, he takes his wife, he takes his brother's son, Lot, all the possessions that they had gathered, and the persons whom they acquired, they took service with them, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. And when they had come to the land of Canaan, let me get this next verse. When they came to the land of Canaan, it says, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. And so they get to the land that God promised them, and there was already people living there. Whoo! 500 miles, a month of travel. And when I get to the place where you told me to go, somebody already lived there. Now, maybe it's because I'm younger than 75, but I can just imagine being a little bit upset. I got everything that I own. My wife is with me. My nephew is with me. My people, my possessions, they're all here. God told them that he would give them the land. When he got there, it was still occupied. Frustrating. Why would God call Abram to a land already occupied if it were to be his? Or could it be just like Eve, right? Just like Adam, that he was not yet ready to possess the land. God says, essentially, I have a blessing for you, but you're not ready for it yet. He, Eve wasn't ready for the knowledge of good and evil. Adam wasn't ready for Y'all remember they made, leave, they made clothes out of leaves. They weren't ready for knowledge of good and evil yet. They weren't ready. 
After this, if you continue to read Genesis, after this, Abram, Abram, who ends up being Abraham, does some really foolish things. Somebody's about to come and get him. He says, Sarah, I need you to tell him that you're my sister so they don't kill me. He lying. A lie is a lie if he's chosen or not. He lying. He lying. He doing foolish things. He let Lot choose first when they was choosing how to separate the land. Look, thankfully, blessing. God blessed him to choose the land or get the land that was needed second. Abraham did some foolish things. They weren't ready to be in the land yet. The people that came after him weren't ready to be in the land yet. That's why they kept getting put out. But the Canaanites are there in the land. There's someone inhabiting the land. He's not ready yet. So he needs to show some patience with his trust in God's process. Patience with trust in God's process. Verse number seven, the Bible says, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring. Now it's making sense. He gets to the land and sees that the Canaanites there. And then God says, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. This is going to be for your offspring. And he's still got to be, he's a human being. He's 75 years old. His wife is old. He's got to be thinking to himself, offspring? You mean lots of kids? Because I'm a bit too old for children at this time. And here's what his response is. He builds an altar to God there in the land. He builds an altar there. And he builds an altar there because now God is not just speaking to him, but the Bible says that God appeared to him. After the Garden of Eden, this is the first theophany, this is the first God appearing moment, right? God appeared to him. He says, I'm going to build a place in the land that you promised. Even though it's not mine, I'm going to place something here. I'm putting my flag in the ground. And I'm going to say, I'm building something to you here in this land. And as I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, how many times have we been in the frustration of what should be our promised land? How many times have we chosen to say, God, this is yours? And I'm not going to stay here and worry and fret about why I should have this land. That's trusting in God's process. We get there at times. We get to the point and we say, God, I've been walking for a long time. This is my land. I'm not giving it up. You said it was mine. And God is saying, not yet. And what we need to learn how to do is give it to God and walk away. Give it to God and walk away because God will deal with that thing. He dealt with them Canaanites. He built an altar to God somewhere where he can worship God. He says, God, even in the midst of my problems, my troubles, I'm building something here. I'm going to worship you because you appeared here to me. You appeared here to me. You began talking to me, but now you appearing to me. And so he reassures Abram of what will happen. And he builds an altar there, and, and, and he is marking the territory as God's and his. Do we have faith strong enough to lay claim to the territory that God has promised, and yet the enemy is still trying to keep us from it? God allows him to see the adversary and the adversity that exists between him and the promised land, but he assures him that his descendants will one day have the land. 
Verse number eight, the Bible says from there, he moves on. It says he moves on to the hill country east of Bethel. If you got your Bibles, I need you to underline that. Underline Bethel there. That's going to be important. We'll come back to that in a second. I hope you all will bring your Bibles here during this series. Bethel right there. We need to underline that. Bethel. It's going to be important. And the Bible says when he moved east of Bethel, it says that he pitched his tent. Right? And with Bethel is on the west and Ai on the east. And then it says, again, there he built an altar to God. I want to talk about two things right here. What Abram did, he did two things. He pitched a tent. He built an altar. Now, this past Wednesday, I heard uh, Brother Arnold and Leighton talking about tents, right? When you pitched your tent, were you able to take it back and bag it back up? No? Well, are you supposed to be able to do that? That was the conversation. It was hard to get it back in. When you pitch a tent, you're supposed to be able to put it back, to take it back up, right? What Abram is doing right here is a temporary thing. Abram's saying, I'm going to put something temporary here for me, but I'm putting something permanent here for God. Y'all see what he's doing? He's saying, God is telling me that this is not my time to have this land. I'm only here temporarily. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to have blind trust. I'm going to have the trust of being a fat man in a roller coaster right now. And I'm going to place this altar here. And I'm only going to build a temporary dwelling for myself. And this is in Bethel. And he built this altar to the Lord. And it says that he called on or he invoked the name of the Lord. Now, a couple of things I want to point out here. At the time of Abram getting here, this was not called Bethel. It was called Luz or Luz, however you want to pronounce it. It was not yet called Bethel yet. But the writer here who writes this, writes this for a reason. I'll get to that in a second. Also, I want to point out the fact that he called on the name of the Lord. Because there are points in our times to where we get in these moments of frustrations, these moments where it's easy to put your faith in your religion and who you are in God down. Right. It's easy for us to do that. And in that moment, in that time when we feel like I've had faith long enough, I've traveled this road long enough. I've wandered with God long enough. In those moments in time. We need to build something there permanent for God and move away. You see. It's okay to be a nomad. When God is directing your path. You're not really wondering when God is directing your path. You're just following where he would have you to go. You see, if I direct my steps, I'm not going to do right. But if God is guiding where I go and where I come from, where I begin and where I end, I'm always going to be in a good place. Amen. Amen. He builds there an altar to God and he calls on the name of the Lord, much like the people in Acts 2 are going to call on the name of the Lord for salvation. Right. Abram has now become this nomadic person going from place to place. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. Now, I need you to see this. We're going to go back to verse number eight. Abram has is, is, is left his land. He's 500 miles where he's supposed to be. Verse number nine says that he keeps continuing wandering south. He's going to find himself in Egypt, right? But in this verse, Abram finds himself 
in a frustrating position as he has just began his journey of faith. And let me tell you what he does. He stops in this place called Bethel. Right? Later on, whenever he gets to where he's going in Egypt, there's going to be a famine. Right? There's going to be a famine. And he's going to have to leave because things are supposed to be going well for him. He's supposed to have blessings. He's supposed to have this and that. But things don't look like they're supposed to look. Where do you think he went back to? Bethel. Later on, whenever his children have children, he has a grandson by the name of Jacob. Jacob, his characteristics are described in his name as being a deceiver. Later on, he is in trouble. He's he's running for his life, right? Guess where Jacob ends up going? To Bethel. Later on, when the people continue to multiply, and through the seed of Abraham, these people come along called the Israelites, and they're God's people, and they're supposed to be showing the whole world how it is that they should live. Guess what those people do? They stop being faithful to God, so much so that they split into two kingdoms. You got a south kingdom and a north kingdom, and the north kingdom has in between it and the south kingdom this city, this place called what? Bethel. This place remains important all through the Old Testament up until the northern kingdom decides they're going to start worshiping a different God at Bethel. And the prophet says this place will no longer be God's place. Let me tell you what Bethel means in Hebrew. Yeah, and I'll have y'all learn a new word here today. Say with me, Beit El. That's Hebrew. Bait is house. El is God. He called this place, this is the house of God. Bethel literally means house of God. When he found frustration in his faith, when things weren't going the way that he wanted them to go, when he had nowhere else to go in the world, he remembered that there was a point in time when God came down from the heavens and he came down to meet the earth and earth people and he was there. It was a theophanic uh, event. He came and he met. He says, I remember this place, this place where God dwells in heaven on earth with his creation and this place is called Bethel and this is the house of God in any time I'm trouble, whether it be Abram anytime I'm in trouble, whether it be Jacob anytime I'm in trouble, whether it be the North Kingdom or the South Kingdom, I'm always going to come back to the house of God because when my faith is shook I need to be where God is. Amen. Amen. When you are in moments to where your faith is shaken, when you are in moments to where you have decided and figured out that I can't deal with this thing called sin, the next thing you need to do is to have faith in God. Because sin has already messed you up, but God is going to get you right. And it begins with faith. Come to the house of God. Don't run away from where God is coming. God is here this morning with his people. Come to the house of God like these people came to the house of God. Jacob saw the ladder that went from earth to heaven. And he said, I, I see there is a, there's going to be a way for people to go from earth to heaven one day. There's this ladder here now, but there's going to be a man that comes later. And he's going to be God. And he's going to come here to fix this problem thing that we have with sin. And we're going to need to have faith and believe that Jesus is that one. 
And we're going to have to believe it blindly because we won't see him until the end. And we're going to have to trust that God had a plan before the problem existed. If you would believe that thing, and if you would say within your heart, I know that my heart is going to have problems holding on to this, but I know when I have problems holding on to faith, I just come back to the house of God. I just come back to meet God where he is, where he exists, where he appears every first day of the week because that's the day when his son reappeared. Amen. If I'm, if I'm willing to do that and change my mind, confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God and be baptized for the remission of my sins. Mm. Salvation can be mine. Eternity can be mine. This relationship that I severed with God can be had again. Faith is the key. That's the message for this week. We're going to continue to talk about this thing called Christianity. The beginning of Christianity is faith. It is the key. If you want to be baptized this morning, if you stand in need of prayer on this morning, please come as we sing the song of invitation. All to Jesus I surrender all. To him I freely give, and I will ever love and trust him. If you stand in need of prayer, just raise your hand. One of these two brothers will come to you. And don't you know I surrender? If you want to be baptized, we are the family of God. Striving to be with we are people of more ready to receive our King. Let's sing. Oh, oh, yeah, Christ our Lord. We are people of more. And the lost Come Oh, oh, we are the Christ that love.